Acts chapter 13 tonight, if you would, please. In the meantime, we'll have some preaching, all right? So Acts chapter number 13. Acts 13, we considered the first 12 verses last week, last Sunday night. The important role of the sending church and the sent missionaries out of Acts chapter 13. And so tonight I'd like to direct your attention to verse number 13 and following. And we will not read uh, just while we're standing uh, the the remainder of the chapter, though that's our text. Uh, It is Paul's sermon, uh, the vast majority of it. And I'm just going to try to bring a key idea out of that. I believe that fits our purposes here tonight. So Acts chapter 13, verse number 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. <laughs> well, that's like saying sick them. You know, I mean, that didn't, didn't take much. For Paul to take advantage of that. Well, verse 16 says, Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. And then beginning in verse number 17 and uh, through verse number 40, he preaches to them a gospel message. Verse 41. And so then verse 42 and following begins to tell the results. So let's just go ahead and read from verse 42 through the remainder of the chapter here tonight for our Bible reading. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next day came also the whole city together for to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and, and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. May God bless the reading of his word here tonight as we consider this passage, Taking Root in Foreign Soil. <clears throat> now, some of you here tonight have what I consider to be a green thumb. I mean, just uh, you have a great ability to plant something and see it grow. My wife and I have a motto around the house when it comes to um, gardening, planting flowers, shrubbery, green stuff like that. 
We buy, we try, they die. That's <laughs> kind of how it goes. Maybe it's not that bad, but it has, has been along the way. Uh, we did just plant, I'm glad to tell you, some, about a year ago, maybe two years ago, and some knockout roses, and they're doing great. Um, so, there. All right. It can happen. It can happen. Now, I enjoy working outdoors, and many of you do as well, and, and I've had my share of working in a garden, although I didn't grow up on a farm, as some did, but had occasion to work, grow up around farms and did some uh, work, planted watermelon, and uh, in fact, one year had really a, just a bumper crop as far as that goes. That was my responsibility that year to set out the watermelon and, and uh, really did well and didn't come to full harvest till after I went to uh, Baptist Bible College in Springfield. So my dad and mom brought a couple of watermelons out. I was working in the cafeteria that year and I was really looking forward to enjoying some watermelon. And so I had opportunity to just put them in the fridge. They were too big for the little dorm room fridge. So I put them in the fridge there where I worked. Well, the next day, I noticed that we were enjoying watermelon as a whole student body. And uh, <laughs> forgot to put my name on it. You know, it's the first lesson you learn in college. You need to put your name on everything, including the watermelons from Kentucky. So any case, I uh, enjoyed watching them grow. I didn't get to enjoy them as much. But anyways, I, I love to see something grow. I, lo- I love to see it, you know, just break through. Uh, the ground after you've planted it, maybe you've taken your kids and, and done a little bit of that. You watch something grow and it begins to take on shape and, and uh, you know, just to develop. It's, it's a blessing. My dad uh, really did. He, he did quite a bit outdoors with uh, making just landscape look good. There's still trees. I can take it to our home place there in Kentucky and show you tree after tree after tree that my dad planted. Some, you know, uh, pine trees and different uh, of different types and just all over I could show you things. But one that he was very um, partial to was what's called Jinko trees. I don't know if you, many of you know what a Jinko tree is, but it's actually, I believe, from China. I did try to do just a little bit of research on it. But for whatever reason, he just thought that would be neat to do something different. So he planted a row of Jinko trees. And to this day, they're still growing and doing great. Except the one that I hit with the bike. Um, But (laughs) otherwise, doing pretty good. Well, my dad loved to see things grow. I love watching grow. I have a great admiration for people that, that really have what I'd consider to be that green thumb. But to see something take root... Begin to draw from the nutrients that God put in the soil and to see it really develop is quite exciting. But how much really, how much more exciting to see people's lives begin to take root and to begin to grow and to develop. Whether like these young children here sitting on the front row and taking notes and paying attention and developing and learning verses, I'm telling you, this is a blessing to watch these young people grow. Whether it's teenage or adults alike, to see people saved and to watch their lives grow. And then from that, out of a church to watch another church planted, that's a blessing. To see the work of the gospel taking root. Tonight we're going to consider how that as Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch of Pisidia, of course they were sent out from the church there, Antioch of Syria, but to the north and to the west there in Asia Minor, they began to share the gospel. And, And we'll read even Paul's account and how he went about sharing the gospel. But 
But I believe you can see as he goes there and then he'll go to Derby or Iconium and Derby and Lystra and all that region. People are saved. Their lives begin to grow and churches are planted, planted. The gospel begins to take root in what we might consider to be foreign soil. How did it, how did it do that? I'm looking forward to trying to get across one simple and yet I believe profound thought here tonight for our consideration. We saw in the first part of chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas were obedient to go. That's what missionaries do. They have to be obedient to go. Churches, sending churches, have to be obedient to send. By the way, we are just as responsible to send as what they are to go. And so we are just as much called to Brazil as what Tom and, uh, to reach Brazil as what Tom and Cindy Brewer are being there. We are just as much called to reach them. Now, we can't be there and do that, and that's why, of course, that they go. But we are just as, as obligated to be obedient as what they are to go. We're as obligated to send. Paul and Barnabas uh, were obedient in the face of opposition. And yet, through that opposition, a man came to Christ, a man named Sergius Paulus. In fact, as I did study, some say that this man, uh, this uh, Roman official, Sergius Paulus, had family that lived uh, in that Antioch Pisidia area. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, but nonetheless, this man was saved by the grace of God. The man uh, bar Jesus, you remember him, the renegade Jew? Uh, Paul struck, commanded or spoke to him, and he was struck with blindness. So I believe that's almost like a little snapshot of what it's going to be like for Paul and Barnabas and others as they travel around, and how that the Jews remain in darkness or in, the, remain blind uh, into their uh, sin and to the need of the gospel and to the, uh, to the fact that Jesus was the Christ, and how that Gentiles are going to see the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to see that he is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, as they go, they leave there that island of Cyprus, and they, and they travel north to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that, that area there. And as, as they enter into that land, the Bible tells us that uh, John Mark departed. He left. And we don't know as to why, whether it was homesickness or what it was that struck John Mark or if he was fearful because of the opposition. We really don't know, so I'm not here to say. Uh, But there were some changes going on with that leadership team. Evidently, it was not under the best of circumstances that John Mark left uh, because later on, uh, Barnabas... Uh, who was kin to John Mark, was going to want to take them with them and give him another chance. He didn't give up on him. But Paul is going to say, no, he failed us. He deserted us. And so there's a sharp point of contention that's going to come between them. And so um, John Mark departed. I'm just going to hit a few points along the way. It's not necessarily the main points of what I'm hoping to get across tonight. But I think it's something for us to consider. You know, along the way, people maybe are going to get out of church going to leave. Maybe even some would leave the ministry. But, but here's what we've got to remember. Regardless of what others do, you need to continue faithful in the gospel ministry because of the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. Tonight, you might feel like John Mark. You're ready to go back. 
You're ready to back away. You're ready to uh, lay low regarding your faith in Christ. Can I encourage you tonight? Don't back up. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't abandon ship. Just stay in church. Stay in your Sunday school class. Stay under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Don't give up. Don't back up. Don't stop. Keep going. You got it? I want to thank God for this. God did not give up on John Mark. Well, you could turn in your Bibles to a gospel called Mark, written by this man. God didn't give up on him. And we have a gospel according to Mark. Well, as they come into Antioch of Pisidia, it's the civil and military center, is a leading city of that region. It had a very large Jewish population. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that there was approximately 2,000 Jewish families residing in, in Antioch here of this region. It's a very large group. And so as they are there, Paul and Barnabas, they go to the Jewish synagogue. This is going to be their norm because Paul is minded to go to the Jew first and then also to go to those who are non-Jews, the Gentiles. And so he would go there as his custom was. And as he's visiting, it was customary for the leader of the synagogue to recognize guests. You know, we, we try to do that. Now, I don't always do the very best at it in remembering names or remembering all or acknowledging everybody that's here in this uh, congregation. But from time to time, we'll have a preacher that'll be here. And I'll say, uh, in fact, we have Jonathan Pyle here, pastor down in Louisiana. And uh, so it's sure good to have him and his family. So I might say to Brother Jonathan, Brother Jonathan, won't you come up and give us a word here tonight? You know, you've, we've done that quite a bit. Just give us a word of exhortation. Encourage us here a little bit. Tell us how things are going. Well, that'd be very similar to what they did with Paul and Barnabas. Here were Jewish men by their nationality who were attending this Jewish synagogue. And they said to, uh, to these men, you have a word of exhortation. Speak. Tell us. Say on. And boy, did they. They said on. That's exactly for sure. They were very glad to do that. Now, here's what is interesting. Another uh, note is that Paul takes the lead here. Paul is going to become, in many ways, more prominent than Barnabas. In fact, from here on, pretty much through the rest of the book of Acts, where Paul and Barnabas are mentioned, it's not going to be Barnabas and Paul, but it's going to be Paul and Barnabas. There's a shift. I admire that and appreciate that in Barnabas. Which, by the way, in ministry, it ought not to be about us, but it ought to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be more concerned about his name than we are about our name and recognition. So what Barnabas did is he said, you know, if God's hand, and he knew that God's hand was on, on this man named Saul, and, or also known as Paul. He knew that God's hand was on Paul. So Barnabas, in fact, was one of those that was involved in training Paul and helping Paul to get started in the ministry. So when Paul came to the forefront and was growing and developing, then Barnabas was willing to step back and let him go forward and, and become a little more prominent for the sake of the gospel because he loved the gospel so much. I had a professor in Bible college named Eli Haru. Many of you uh, know that name or maybe had him as a professor, but he said this, it, and he's quoting someone else, but I just grew up or <laughs> went through Bible college thinking it was Eli Haru who said, it takes more grace than I can tell to play second fiddle well. And, uh, you know, that first fiddle kind of gets a lot of attention. But that second fiddle, that one in behind it, 
plays a major part, though it may not get all the recognition. Barnabas is willing to play that second part and allow Paul here to take the forefront. And so he's an encourager. He hands over leadership to Paul. And Paul, listen, Paul begins to share with these people what we know as the gospel. The gospel. Beginning in verse number 17, he traces God's work throughout Jewish history to the time of Christ. God, in verse 17 and following, God is the subject of the verbs. I mean, he's the prominent one that Paul highlights along the way. And it shows us this, listen, that God is active in history. God is active in history. God did not start this world and back away from it and let it go just any old way. God is actively involved in history, making things happen. And so Paul is basically following that. So he begins in verse number 17. Let's just follow Paul's line of thought here. He says, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers. He chose Abraham. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. I'll make a few comments here along the way and, and uh, just follow his line of thought as he begins basically in Genesis, which is what we're doing on Sunday mornings. Now, he did it a lot faster than what we are. Uh, three and almost a half years later, if somebody's waiting till the end of the sermon, uh, going all the way through what we're going through, it'd be a while. They wouldn't be saved until much later on. But uh, Paul, he does. He just simply follows how God revealed who the Messiah, who the Lord Jesus Christ was to be. So he chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So he jumps from Genesis right into Exodus. And he says, with an high arm, he brought them out. At about 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. He put up with them through their time in the desert. Verse number 19, he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and divided their land to them by lot. He gave them the land there under the leadership of Joshua. So we went from Abraham to Moses to Joshua. Verse 20, and after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Afterward, they desired a king and God gave them, gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up, God raised up unto them, David, to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, look at this, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, whom think ye that I am? I am not he, I am not the Messiah, in other words. But behold, there cometh one after me, uh, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. He's obviously speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and brethren... Children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Okay, so let me, let me just stop right there and just briefly review what he did. He said this, God has been involved in our history. 
God has been involved in the history of mankind. He started with Abraham and he promised to Abraham that he would bless Abraham and make of him a great seed. And through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then they went into Egypt and God was faithful to them through Egypt and he saved them out of Egypt and he brought them into the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua and gave them the land and God continued faithful to them. God was faithful in all of his dealings with them and and he was faithful to them even through the time of the judges. And through the time of the judges, God proved his faithfulness by rising up judges that would deliver them and deliver them and deliver them after they had gone away from God. God was being faithful to his promise. And then from there, he goes all the way until John the Baptist. So that's quite a jump in Bible history. So he goes to John the Baptist who said, I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. And on that day, as we know, as John was baptizing there in the River Jordan, Jesus came to be baptized of him. And John pointed out the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And when John pointed to Jesus, he was pointing to the only plan of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, John, I'm sorry, now Paul, in continuing his message, he says, listen, this message is for you. This message is for you. Now, now let's keep in mind, he's in Antioch, Pisidia, he's over 400 miles away from Jerusalem. He's preaching to people who know this Bible history. He, they, they know what I just have gone through and read through. They know this, but for the first time, perhaps, some of them are hearing that it is Jesus who is the fulfillment of all these things. For the very first time. And he says, listen, those of you that are of the seed of Abraham, and those of you, he addresses the non-Jewish people that are in their midst because there were non-Jews among them. People who would at least recognize that there is only one God and it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God of the Bible, uh, the Jehovah as he's declared himself to be, the self-existent one. They at least had accepted him and they were God-fearing people and yet they had not heard the message of Jesus yet. So he, Paul says this, this message is to you as the Jewish people, but this message is not just for the Jews, this is for all people. So I can say to you tonight, this message is not just for the Jews. This message is not just for one certain group of people. This message is for all people. That's what Paul said. That's why he was there, because he believed that. And so he goes on. Let's pick uh, back up again, if you would, please. And in verse number 27, for they that dwelt at, dwell at Jerusalem... And their rulers, because they knew him not, he's talking about the Lord Jesus, and how that in Jesus' day and time they did not recognize him. He came into his own, but his own received him not. Then he goes on to say this, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. He's basically saying this, church, they missed it. They missed it. They, they had the scriptures. They read in the prophets every single Sabbath day. And yet when Jesus showed up on the scene, they did not identify that he was indeed the Messiah. And they condemned him. Verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him. In other words, he was innocent. 
Yet desired they Pilate, the Roman ruler, the governor of that region, Pilate, that he should be slain. They wanted Jesus to be crucified. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Paul is addressing them and giving them basically the content now of the gospel. He gave them the story of God's redemption up to the time of Christ. And now he's saying, listen, they didn't even realize it, but they were fulfilling what the Old Testament said about Jesus and how he would suffer at the hands of sinners and how that he would die and how that he would be buried. There's the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was buried. (laughs) Thank God there's a verse 30 in his sermon. But God raised him from the dead. Not only did he raise him from the dead, verse 31, for those who want some proof, he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto our fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he raised up Je- hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That's a quote out of Isaiah 55. Wherefore, he he saith also in another psalm, in Psalm 16, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, he explains, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, wait a minute. Um, Jesus died in your place, was buried and rose again. There's proof of that. There are witnesses. Paul himself could say, I saw him. James, the skeptical brother of Jesus, saw that Jesus was risen again. Over 500 brethren saw that Jesus was risen again. They saw him. They were not all hallucinating. 500 people don't all hallucinate about the same thing. So he's saying, listen, God has been at work throughout the Old Testament... God was at work, even though the Jewish leaders didn't understand what they were doing. They crucified the Lord of glory. They crucified their Messiah. He was buried, but he rose again. And there are witnesses that can testify to that. But not only are there witnesses, there is scriptural proof to show that Messiah would indeed suffer and that he would rise again. I reference you to Psalm chapter 2, how that the Lord would, would give him the isles of the, of the Gentiles, how that he would be king and he would reign. How could he reign if he's a dead king? How could he reign if he saw corruption? In other words, if his body decayed. But David said of him in Psalm 16 that he would not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. In other words, that he would rise again. 
Now, David, did he say this about himself? No, because David wrote, although David wrote this, he wasn't talking about himself because David was buried and saw corruption. He's in the grave till this very day. His body decayed. So David could not be saying this about himself. He could not be saying it about another prophet because all the others have been dead and have decayed. There's only one. There's only one that he could be referencing here, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and did not decay. His body is not there. The tomb was empty. You see, if if all this was just fabricated, somebody could have said, wait a minute, I know Jesus is dead because he's still here in the tomb, but nobody could take him to the tomb. In fact, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, they acknowledged, yes, his body is definitely gone. Well, not only was his body gone, his body appeared unto the disciples and to others, to the women and to the men and to the, even the skeptics and to the ones that were against him. I'm telling you, Jesus is truly alive. Well, he preached his sermon, all right. And then he came down to verse number 38, and this is the invitation. You ready? He says in verse 38, Be it known unto you, unto you, in fact, is emphatic in the verse, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, be it known unto you that through this man is preached unto you, The forgiveness of sins. You can be released from the guilt of your sins. The wrath of God does not have to be on you. You can be released from it through this man. I want want this to be known unto you. And I'm saying to you tonight, this needs to be known to you. And I realize that the vast majority of you say, well, you ought to thank God and you're saying amen. And that's real good. But there might be somebody here tonight that they're hearing right now as I preach another man's sermon. (laughs) They're hearing the gospel. And I say, as I bring it into this 21st century, be this known unto you that through this man, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ can be preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Your sins can be forgiven. And by him, all who believe, all who believe are justified. That means you can be declared righteous before God. Justified, it's a judicial term, that you can be justified just as if you never sinned, but not just that, but that Jesus Christ and his righteousness has been applied to your account. That by all that believe in him are justified from all things, from which, remember he's speaking to Jews here, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's saying to them, the only way that you could be justified by the law is if you keep the law perfectly. Can you do that? They would all acknowledge, no, I have sinned. Then if you have sinned, then you need a Savior. The only way tonight that you could be saved, if it's up to you, the only way that you could be saved from your sin is if you never have sinned. Never will sin. It's too late. You can't push game over here and get a restart. 
Nope. But there is a way to be forgiven. And it's through this man. It's not through many ways, but through one way. There is no plan B. There are no other ways of salvation. There's only one. Thank God by Him all that believe are justified from all things which you could never do through the law. Then He said this. Are you listening? Verse 40. Beware. Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. And He quotes from Habakkuk. Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He says this, listen, you've heard the message. Now you're in great danger if you reject it. But you can reject it. But I preach to you salvation. And you can receive it. And if you receive it, you believe it, you're saved. If you hear it and reject it, you're lost. If you never hear it, you're lost. But here they were. They heard it. And there's a varied response. Verse 42, we read it. I would imagine that as the time that um, Paul finished preaching, and he sat down, he got pretty quiet. Jews began to leave. Some were upset. They probably felt like he had offended Moses, that he had despised the law, that he had betrayed their heritage as Jews because they felt like just because they were Jews, everything's okay. My friend, your nationality does not earn you a right with God or a place with God. Some left. Some said this, I'd like to hear that again. I'd like to hear that again. You know, for some people, it takes more than just once hearing the gospel. I imagine everybody in here, it probably took more than one time for you hearing the gospel for you to be saved. I would imagine a lot of you heard the gospel over and over and over again. And, but finally, you began to realize, I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Jesus died for my sin, was buried, rose again. And he did that for me. And if I call upon the name of the Lord, I can be saved. Sometime you came to that realization, but it may have taken more than one time for the gospel to take root. Others, verse number 43 they came and they followed Barnab- Paul and Barnabas. I believe these individuals, they, they accepted Jesus as the Christ. They accepted him as their only way to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in that good grace of God. Well, the whole city, it seemed like, came back the next time. And many more individuals heard the gospel. And again, some rejected it. Some maybe more were saved, perhaps. But then the Jews saw, you know, we're going to lose something here. 
They stirred up the women of the city, the upper class, some that had rulership there and influence, and other rulers, and they ran these preachers out of town. Well, Paul and Barnabas did this. They came to the edge of town there, and the Bible says they, they shook the dust off, as you saw there in the next to last verse, off their feet against them. It was a symbol, it was a sign that, that they had rejected the message, and now they would be moving on. Ironically, Jews, as they came into the Holy Land in Jerusalem, they would shake the dust off of their feet before coming into Jerusalem to make sure that the contamination of the Gentiles didn't get in the holy city. But now here's a Jew saying, because you've rejected Christ, we have to move on. But now we're going to be a light to the Gentiles, and they'll receive the gospel. Many of them will. A light to the Gentiles. In fact, that's a quote out of Isaiah 49, and it's actually in reference... Get this now. It's actually in reference to Messiah and how that he would be a light to the Gentiles and and how that the message of salvation would go to the ends of the earth through the Messiah. But now Jesus is no longer bodily present, but the message has got to get to the ends of the earth. And so now Paul and Barnabas are realizing we are in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are an extension of his ministry to take that salvation message to the ends of the earth and that they did in their day and time. And so the gospel took root in the lives of some individuals. Why did it take root? I believe it took root in some lives there because they heard a message and they saw messengers whose lives were rooted in Christ. This whole message that Paul preached was rooted in Christ. Paul's life was rooted in Christ. Barnabas' life rooted in Christ. I'm telling you, the gospel can be planted in foreign soil and thrive if the people hear a message from messengers whose lives are rooted in Christ and whose message is rooted in Christ. And it's not conveying man's philosophy or ideas about history or world thought or, or anything like that, but that we preach a message and we declare a message that is centered and rooted and built around and showing how that God did this here in Abraham's life and Moses and Joshua and the judges and on and on. But really all of that points to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every Ever since then, what God has been doing, he's not turned away from this world. He's still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that we to this very day are to go forth from pulpits and from door to door and from handing out tracts and showing people lives that are rooted in Christ and giving them the message that is saturated with who Jesus is. And when they hear, they can be saved. Not all will be saved. But some can be saved. I believe, based on the word of God, anyone who hears the gospel could be saved. He is not selected just a select group to be saved. No, my friend. He is determined to save any who would call on him by faith. This chapter highlights, highlights that now you have rejected the message. You have condemned yourself. 
They're not condemned because God did not elect them to be saved. They're condemned because they rejected the message. And so tonight, you could be saved. Tonight, your sins could be forgiven. Tonight, you could be made right with God. But there's only one way for you to be made right with God. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You realize tonight that this is exactly why we are having a meeting in two weeks called the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship Meeting. We're having that meeting, church, because there is no other way for people in the world to be saved. This message that we hear week by week has got to make it to the ends of the earth. And when it arrives there, there are going to be some folks who hear a message that they've never heard before. You know where many missionaries are going to have to begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he called a man named Abram. And he worked through the life of a man named Isaac and Jacob. And they're going to have to go through that. Many of you maybe have seen, I believe Brother Hainline has used a video called Etow about in Papua New Guinea and how that, how that he began. They began just showing word pictures of how that people came to understand. And just it took months for the people to understand even who the Creator is. I'm telling you. But I, I, I believe we may be getting close to that time even in the United States of America where we're going to have to begin. This is a great model for evangelism, by the way. Paul didn't use the Romans Road. He didn't have the Romans Road just yet. He's about to write it, but at this point, he's just simply using history, Bible history, what God did here, what God did here, what God did here, what God did there, what God did through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was raised again from, from the dead, and how that he was appearing unto many witnesses. I'm telling you, just with that, just with the Old Testament and into the Gospels, you can build a case that there's only one way to be saved, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It may take some time for people to get that, but thank God for his long suffering and thank God for his patience and thank God that he brings us to salvation and that he would have all men to be saved, all men from all races, all backgrounds, all, all ethnic groups. He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But how can they be saved? How can they hear the message if there are no messengers? And how can there be messengers if there are not people whose lives are just simply this, rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Your life has got to be rooted in Him. Daily with Him. Communing with Him. Allowing the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ to be seen and evident in your life. And then somebody could say, you know, there's something different about her. There's something different about Him. I wonder what it is that message is that made such a difference in their life. And then you can open up the Word of God. And somebody might say to you, do you have a word of exhortation? Well, they might not put it just like that. But they'll say, tell me why and what you believe. Men and brethren, ladies and gentlemen, God has been at work in history before history that all men might be saved through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, crucified, buried, thank God risen and coming again. The gospel takes root 
through the lives of those who are rooted in Christ. Tonight I'd like for you to bow your head and just have a time of prayer here tonight. Tonight I've tried to show from Paul's sermon that salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you uh, tonight could raise your hand and say, I know Jesus as my Savior. If I die tonight, I know I have a home in heaven. I'm forgiven of my sin. Would you raise your hand as that describes you? Thank God. What a blessing. This morning we preached on the atonement. Only reason you and I could even raise our hands tonight. Thank you. You may put your hands down. The only reason we could raise our hand tonight is because the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place. And we heard the gospel message that we might be saved. I wonder tonight, I don't know, there's, there's guests here tonight, and I don't know who's saved and who's not, but I wonder tonight if there's someone that would raise their hand and say, Preacher, if I die tonight, I don't know for sure that I'd, I'm right with God. I'm, I'm lost. I don't know for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. I see your hand. Who else tonight? If I, if I die tonight, I don't know that I'm right with God. I, in fact, I understand what you said tonight. You said, you, you tried to make very clear, it seemed like to me, that there's only one way to salvation, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point, I have not accepted Him as my Savior. Is that you? Thank you. I see another hand over here to my left or your right. Who else tonight? Somebody else. Well, I'll wait just a moment. Anyone? I haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I'm concerned about that. Many of you raise your hands that you're saved. Is your life rooted in Christ or is it in something else? Paul's life was all about who Jesus was. And his message was about Jesus. What's the message of your life? What's the content of your life? Is it rooted in Christ? Is it evident there? Let's stand together tonight. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I believe that it was good and right for us to consider the message preached by the Apostle Paul who preached it with great authority and no doubt at that time with great passion. A man who once took the lives of Christians, persecuted the church. But God, that day when you appeared unto him, changed his life forever and sent him on these missionary journeys of which we are following and studying. And so tonight, dear God, as a church, first of all, I pray that you'd help us, that our lives might be rooted in Jesus Christ. And by that, I mean that we might receive from him that which we need for our day-to-day living, making choices, decisions. God, we face times of uncertainty and maybe would be tempted like John Mark to go back and And yet there's so many that need to hear the gospel. God, help somebody tonight to remember their roots in Jesus. Father, maybe tonight someone that is being overshadowed in a ministry somewhere, help them to see that it's not about them. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. God, tonight I just want to submit ourselves to you as a church, that you might use us as a light unto the Gentiles and Jews alike, that you might use our church to help the gospel to go to the end of the earth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.